is 15 Minutes of Freedom. I'm your host, Ryan Idell, and today, the man, the myth, the legend, I have Taylor Welch here with me. Taylor, how are you, my friend? Man, I am more man than myth, and I haven't gotten the legend part down yet, but that's what I'm chasing. One day. Well, see, I would, I would argue that in the sales world, like Traffic and Funnels, your, your business is, is approaching legendary status, at least from a direct response market, <laughs> right? Like, your, your funnels, your creation, what you've grown has been, I mean, to me, nothing short of revolutionary because it's been, how long has it been? Like, since you started pushing the gas pedal down inside the business? January 2016, so that'll be, so four years, four-ish, four right. and a half. And is, is it comfortable? Are we able to share what, like, I mean, you're in sales, so what's that, what's that top line revenue look like for, for the company last year? Yeah. Last year, we were about 12. This year, we're pacing to do 16-ish, somewhere around there. Um, but that's just for TF. You know, we've got so many things going on. I like, I, I get bored so fast that me and Chris have just gone out and we've created new things to keep us in the game and excited. That's part of it is making sure, like, you know, you don't burn out on one thing and one area of business. And so we kind of bounce back and forth. The name of the game is focus until mastery becomes second nature. And then you earn the right to do something else. So I think people sometimes misunderstand that. They're like, oh, well, Taylor's doing five different businesses. No, no, no. You know, mastery for me in, in traffic and funnels is now habit, instincts, like back in a car out of a garage. It took us two years to get there. And then we earn the right to open up other things, you know. Well, and I, I love that, Taylor, because I like to start these interviews by asking if someone's listening that's in the process of jumping in the entrepreneurial waters, right? And they hear all these wonderful versions of what could be what is one lesson you wish you would have learned or been told and listened to before you jumped in man i i wish that i would have had the philosophy at the beginning that you know it's it really has less to do with the outcome and it has more to do with the process that you engage with is is the process fulfilling without the outcome if the answer is not yes then there's going to be struggles in your life and it it's it took me until probably the end of 2018 to realize that whether the business is growing or whether it's staying the same, my, my main barometer is am I showing up and playing well? That's all Tom Brady cares about. Yeah, he's pissed off when he, doesn't, when he doesn't win the game, as we all are. But at the end of the day, he just comes back the next day because he gave his best. And at the beginning, I, I was so vulnerable to, really, I was just vulnerable to my own expectations of like, I wanted things to grow so fast. I wanted everybody to respect me. And if you're not careful, that'll change the way you play. Anything that changes the way that you play the game is a vulnerability. And so I wish I would have known that at the beginning. It's taken me a long time to figure it out. And you can see it even now. Like I'm just smiling. I'm just happy. I don't even care. And the less I care about the outcome, the more money we do. It's kind of crazy how that works. Was that a uh, high impact, low attachment style stuff there, Taylor? Is that? Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like a hundred percent, dude. Like, you, I still have a little bit of attachment to the outcome because everybody does, but the more I work on it, the more I just want to do the right thing because that's what I can control. And I thrive off of things I can control and the things I can't control are become toxic if you, if you try to control them. And so it's just a disconnect from the things you can't control, which really is the outcome. You can't really control the outcome. You can just control what you do that pr produces the outcome, you know? Absolutely. So Taylor, what was your life like prior to TNF? Like what, what was the, the building blocks to get to, I'm going to teach the world how to actually finally sell, I'll say, quote, unquote, the right way, right? Because there's, 
there's a lot of wrong yeah. way to sell. And I'm not here to talk poorly about anybody else, but the whole, you know, your, your methodology, right. I've, I've went through some of your courses and no problem saying I bought them. Love having you on the show. Like where, where did that start? Like how was the process prior to, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm literally going to run one of the biggest sales organizations in the country is what it's turning into. Yeah. 11 years old. I didn't know. Nobody knows what's, nobody knows the building blocks as they're going through them. They, we just see them in hindsight. 11 years old. My dad takes me out of school on a Friday and takes me to a John Maxwell. Everybody knows John Maxwell is a simulcast. Back in the day, they used to have them stream to churches all over the country. And you sit in this big gymnasium. It's the weirdest thing ever. And you just watch a screen of somebody talking. I'm 11, 12. I hate it. He's bribing me with Chick-fil-A. My teachers, I learned in hindsight, are upset with him for pulling me out of school. They didn't think it was worth it. But my dad did this every single year. And, you know, I started when I, I was on staff at a church and I started studying leadership. They put me over a bunch of volunteers. I didn't know what I was doing. 20-year-old kid. And when I finally got into the business world, the past 15 years just snapped in like a puzzle. Because I had learned from 11 or 12 years old what leadership means and how to have difficult conversations. And, you know, I grew up on Zig Ziglar and the late, you know, Jim Rohn and John Maxwell. So really what happened is there were 20 years of preparatory activity, 20 years of me going into the gym, but I couldn't compete. And then when I finally was able to compete, all of that work started coming together, you know. So... It's interesting how, how your normal everyday life will prepare you oftentimes by giving you the lessons. And what prevents us from being able to get those lessons are you know, bitterness, ego. Uh, there's just a, a mirage of heavy emotions. And, and what I always tell people when they're first starting out is there's a, there's a way to fundamentally change everything that bad that's happened to you. And it's by viewing it as tuition. You know, everybody's cool with paying college. Everybody's cool with paying for school. But nobody wants to pay in life. But that's where the greatest lessons are. So instead of looking at why is this happening to me, why is this, you know, it's tuition. You're actually paying. It's not money. It's a different currency. It's the currency of resilience. It's the currency of setback. It's the currency of, you know, all of these things. See it as an exchange and harvest the lessons. And all of that happened for me really, really quick. But it felt, felt like it happened over 100 years, you know? Yeah, of course. So. Did you sell in a professional environment prior to TNF? No, no, zero experience. No kidding. Zero experience. In fact, my first actual sales call was with a guy named Gary. And this was 2014. I had never sold anything in, in my life. And I got to the end of the call. My offer was good, which there's a secret there as well we can dive into. The offer was good. And he's like, I'm good. Sign me up. 400 bucks. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I was like, cool, I'll call you tomorrow and I'll get your money. He's like, just take my money now. Like, I'll just let me call you tomorrow. And he's like, do you know how to take money over the phone? I'm like, nope. <laughs> they walked me through how to get a PayPal account, how to send him an invoice. Completely embarrassing. And I felt so humiliated. But that's, that's where my journey started. And I went, you know, what I, what I lacked in skill set, I made up for opportunity volume. So there's two ways to do this. Like, you got to have pitches. If you have the best batting average in the world with no pitches, you're not going to make anything. But then if you can't figure out how to increase your averages, you can have all of these pitches, but you'll work so hard trying to make a little bit of money that you'll burn out. And so when, when I really got into the game, I just started taking call after call after call after call, and I listened to them, and I would record them, and I'd pay people to listen to them. 
And over, over time, you know, when you take 8,000 phone calls and you're paying to get somebody else to listen to them, you, you learn pretty quick or you just quit. You know, those are your two options. So Yeah, absolutely. So I, I love that. I love the trial by fire, really. I love the story. But you, you put that little pearl of wisdom, like you, you create that open movement. Oh, I need to close, right? I need to hear the offer structure is right. That's that. Those are those pearls of wisdom that as you were listening to this, as you get better and better at sales, you'll start picking up on what's not said to lead the conversations to where you need it to be. That's something that Taylor teaches inside of Traffic and Funnels. It's a very, very known uh, sales tactic. It's not even tactic, right? It, it's just what works. So I'm curious if we can close that loop. What does that look like in creating a good offer? No, well, there, there's only the fundamentally you can go into as high as you can go. There's two things that people need or two reasons that people exchange money. One is obviously that they're in pain or they're trying to avoid something that they don't want. And that's very powerful. The other is that they're not necessarily in pain right now, but they have something they want to move towards. And that's a little bit less powerful. If you go into like Bernays or the, you know, the, the beginning of public relations, what we call public relations in America, uh, people typically buy with a little bit of pain and a little bit of hope. And those two things mixed together produces the best outcome. And so in this case, back in the day, what I was selling was that there was an opportunity and I stumbled upon this and nobody really taught me this because it was my first call ever. But I was selling him on the opportunity that he could make more money, but simultaneously he was in a position where he was working so hard uh, that he was ready to get out of it. So it was a perfect combination of both of those things. This is why people who sell insurance or uh, people who sell, you know, policies that are like downside protection, risk coverage, they have to sell different than people who sell cars. It's not the same game because one is selling off of the emotion of avoiding a bad scenario. The other is selling off of the emotion primarily of getting to a good scenario. There are ways to mix the two together, but when you can, when, when you can go in and, you're not just selling a car, you're selling safety for the, for the child that you're buying it for. All of a sudden, you've mixed in the risk coverage, which makes people more prone to buy. And I don't know if that makes sense because we got 15 minutes and just trying to dive in without going in. Oh, we, we have way more than 15 minutes, brother. We have. Oh, okay. You and I decided it's over. My, my normal daily show is 15 or 20 minutes, but this is. Right. We're, we're, oh, okay. we're good for an hour if we need to be. Gotcha. I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to get in and out in 15 minutes on this, but cool. Good to know. Yes. Yeah, so I, I love that. And that's one of the things, right, that that I found to be so impactful and want to run up by you is, right, as we look at, I'm a big psychology guy, right, spiral dynamics and things like that. It's just fascinating the way the human brain works and systems work, really. And seeing that the removal of pain or the pursuit of pleasure, right, if we kind of chart it out, it's 40, 40, and then 20 are in the middle. So your pitches have to tie in both of those, right, in a way that brings people into you as the authority figure. Right. I mean, am I, yes. am I loosely coming through the, the, yeah. the Taylor Wells? Yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, and Eli, you know, Eli Wilds, you know, yeah. he's like spiral dynamics and all that. Like he's, he's classic. I say when we're at events together, I'm like, there's a difference between me and Eli. Eli is classically trained, so he actually knows what he's doing. And I am just like a hodgepodge of like all of these experiences. Like there's gut training and I know what I'm doing, but I, it's harder for me to label and name. But Eli's a magician at understanding all of the numbers. Like he would be able to say, yeah, 17 and a half percent is this, and 23% is that, 29% is this. But when I go into a situation, I just go into like, look, let's define what your criteria is first and foremost for what you're trying to buy. Because 
not everybody's criteria is the same. And salespeople make this mistake all the time. They will start selling somebody on what their criteria is, but they've missed the prospect's criteria. There's no definition. And so they miss the mark. And I don't want to do that. Our teams are trained out of that. So that's one of the first things we do when we get on a call is like, what's broken? What are you, what are you trying to fix? You know, what is it that you're trying to fix? Why are you here? Why are you on this call? And they may say, well, you know, I don't really have anything to fix. I just am, you know, I, I was not able to afford this or that. And I want to look at, into the next level. Well, that snaps us into their grid because their grid is what's important, not our grid. And from there, we can navigate them through how to make the best decision. You know what I mean? So it's, it's attacking their thinking. It's fixing their thinking. And the byproduct of which is them buying our product or not buying our product. We don't care. We don't really care whether they buy our products or not. It's more about, is it the right fit or not? You know? Yes. Yeah. So I think that's one of the powerful right frames to step up and do a phone call with and not only the, the lack of attachment, but also the framing on the front side that right, most of the people, that, a lot of the people that we speak to, we just recommend that we don't have the right service for them. Yeah. Right? That's I mean, good. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just, it's, it's honest. It's truthful. Like we're not for everybody. And that's one of the, I'll say critical errors that I see with people that I, I help and work with in different capacities is they're, they're pitching everybody. Like everybody's getting pitched instead of having that consultative, right? They actually, I have memorized your three rules of sales as they were presented to me from Eli, right? Always do what's best for the client is rule number one. Number two is client's growth is just outside their comfort zone. And rule number three is clients fight like hell to stay inside their comfort zone. That is the most profound thing inside of sales I think I've ever heard, Taylor, is just those three words because they're like the guiding light. It's a principle. It's what it's always going to take. And you're going to have to have that resistance between their comfort zone and them fighting to stay into it. And so you're going to have to have some of those uncomfortable conversations if you're selling from, to me, authority and authenticity. Yeah. And there's, there's health intention. There's balance intention. And like we have a, a, a wonderful one-year-old baby girl. And, you know, I'm trying to explain to her why why you don't eat bugs and like eating dog food is not what she needs to do. And like, when you really grasp the philosophy, it's like, if you have a child that's doing the wrong thing, you're going to correct that thinking. And even if it makes them not happy with you, you do it because it's right. And you do it because you know what the end goal is. And this is the, the thing. If you are a leader, if you're in a sales conversation, you're a leader, you got to remember, you can see farther than this person can see which changes the grid a little bit because you might have to push them through something or help protect them from something. And they can't see the third, fourth, fifth order consequence, but you can. So you have an obligation to not pander to their feelings, to not try to get them to like you. This old internet BS of people buy from who they know, like, and trust. No, it's, it's actually, it's actually the, the opposite. People buy from who they trust can deliver the goods. I've had people come into our programs who don't enjoy, they didn't enjoy the conversation. They, they don't, they're not like, man, I just love talking to Taylor because he, he showed me how I've sucked my whole life and how I'm never going to get anywhere. No, that, but I've had conversations like that, but people rapport is overvalued. People want to know that I know what I'm talking about, that I can, I've, I've helped people just like them get the same thing. And they want to know that they can trust me with their time they wanted to know that they can trust me with their emotions, you know, whatever it is that you sell. To be a trustworthy individual, you have to know that you don't need the money. You're willing to tell them what they need to hear, not just what they want to hear. It's a massive difference between a lot of the training you hear today from sales professionals. Oh, absolutely. And not only that, but to me, it's, it's fascinating the way that you guys handle 
you know, rebuttals, right? When, when you have to overcome something, right? The objection handling where you get a, I'll take a guy like Grant Cardone. It doesn't bother me. I don't know Grant personally. I don't have a bone to pick with Grant, but right, I don't have the money to, to say. And it's like, well, that's exactly why I should sign up. And I'm like, that doesn't even, if that works, that doesn't feel in integrity with how I would ever present something. It doesn't, I didn't ask enough questions. Like to me, we have to reframe a belief around what they say they don't have money or too expensive. And you're meeting a, you know, an objection with another objection, really. It's force versus force. It doesn't feel, yeah. it doesn't feel right. Right. Cardone is like a, um, you know, like the old mafia shotguns or the old mafia machine guns. You just spray the wall and hopefully people get hit in the process. And modern day salesmanship is like a, it's like American sniper. I mean, it's like, it's, it's really inefficient to sell the way that these old school trainers sell. It's just inefficient. If you believe that everything's a numbers game, your life will be a numbers game. That's, you get to decide. My life is a numbers game. I'm able to provide, I'm able to instill leverage into conversation, into systems, make a couple million dollars a month on 20 hours a week. So you can either have leverage or you can work 100 hours a week. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's, it's inefficient. And ultimately, I think it's not respectful to the buyer. I don't think it's respectful to the buyer to see them as a number. And that's my stance and whoever. Now I'm 31 years old. Uh, by the time I'm as old as Cardone, uh, my net worth will likely dwarf his. Yeah, anybody can build that when you're 75 years old. It takes, it takes just a little bit of stamina and resilience. But the guard is changing in that people want to be respected a little bit more than that now. And I think that the game is different. It's not the 80s car salesmanship anymore. And yeah, whatever you want to say, shots fired. It's nothing personal. You know, I just think he's dumb in his sales training. He's great at the you know the probably the capital allocation and the staffing side it, i don't think you understand sales <laughs> he just made a name for himself from the 80s and if yeah. you try to sell that way you're going to suffer you're going to get penalized from that because your name's not cardone and you don't have a, a million people to back you up you know that's the bottom line of course of course so yeah. taylor i'm curious as as the journey started for you when did you remove yourself from right, I have to imagine to start with you were not only sales, but you were also facilitating. You were sales and service. You were selling. Yeah. And you were facilitating the change for the client you sold it to. Yeah, me and Chris did everything, and we we did that traditional waffling back and forth between like we would try to get clients and we would get too many, and we would stop and we would fulfill, and we would kind of go back and forth. And our our income was up and down, and we had a little bit of a yo-yo going on. Um, we didn't really know how to build a team the right way. We you know, like I said, I, I'm not classically trained and neither was Chris. So we hired our first staff and we, we really went full-time January, 2016 in TF. We hired our first staff like the summer of 2016 and we tried it again in 2017. We tried it again in 2018. It wasn't until the end of 2018 that I think we got good at understanding, you know, how to place people, how to trust people, how to build layers inside of the organization. And, um, I think the first couple of times we tried it were really bad. Of course. Uh, some of those memories are just blocked. Like, I'm like, I just erased them. Um, but man, it, it all comes back down to kind of the same thing, which is just, you know, really taking that responsibility as a leader and salespeople, by the way, you salespeople are, are leaders. That's your number one job is taking responsibility for the outcome of your calls and the outcome of your marketing and the outcome of, you know, everything in between. 
So to the place where we are now, we have three different businesses. Uh, we probably have 80 to 90 people that are on some sort of payroll with us. Um, and likely by the end of 2020, TF will be the smallest or maybe the second, maybe in the middle. It, it for sure won't be the biggest. So I feel, I feel like I'm sleeping, Taylor. What are, what are your other two or three or four? What are your other 17 businesses that we can talk about? <laughs> so sales mentor obviously is a different business, different yep different employees, different structure, different offices. Um, and then WealthCap is the real estate business. And so we take money out of our businesses that are cash positive and we put them into the markets. Um, our clients find out, you, know, you, you probably have clients that are, they, they work with you, they make all of this money. And then they're like, what do you do with the money that you make? And so we're like, well, we're gonna create a new business that can help you do that and, and help you invest it. And so we have a fund. Um, it's accredited through the SEC. Uh, we have four markets in the United States. And by the end of the year, we'll probably be up to about 30 houses a month. All single family because it's my history. It's what I know. And also, I think that it's a little bit safer right now than the multifamily. Obviously, with the pandemic, nobody wants to rent an apartment. Uh, and that's, gonna, that's not going to change in the next two or three years. And part of why I'm you know, talking about this is you, you look at guys like Cardone and people who are doing these big multifamily. It's like, you know, they're laying people off as soon as trouble hits. They, they didn't buy right. They didn't buy things that were undervalued. They bought things at market value with the expectation that it would continue to climb. I don't think they're going to. I think that some of those guys are in trouble. So we've stayed in just a single family. So about 30% is vacation rentals. 70% is long-term buy and hold. And we help clients do that whole thing turnkey. And that will be probably biggest by the end of, of the year. How, what, what a brilliant play is that? So who can, which one, did you or Chris come up with that or was that an outside force that came in, right? Because that's just, you're the only person I've heard that has, I'll say, played that game the right way from my stance So you cultivate success and then you get to a certain point and the success is successful enough that they want to know how else to spend time with you. And it's as a peer versus as a subordinate. And the only way to do that would be an investment vehicle. So where did that come from? Uh, well, I had background inside of in, in turkey real estate before starting tf with chris and then chris ac actually came from the mortgage world and so he was writing loans and in that process and so me and chris this is kind of just our flow like one of us will have an idea and the other one's like now nah, that's dumb and we'll argue about it and then we'll either come on the same page or one of us will just start it uh and, and just like force the other person to get on board and that's kind of been a little bit of our MO since the beginning. And the thing about Chris that is amazing, which if you should have him on here at some point, is he tends to be the guy that is like, he's very strategic. He'll go into his, his you know, his one of his lake houses and he'll spend three days there. And he'll come out with like, you know, the 10 commandments from Moses on the, on the Mount Sinai. And it'll be like, these are the rules for the next 10 years. And what, what my skill set tends to be is like, just like hair lit on fire, running around, starting everything, just force of nature. And the two, we have tension, you know, just like in the sales conversation. Cause he's like, we shouldn't go that direction. I'm like, we need to go that direction without him. Some I'm likely driving us off a cliff, but without me, I think things would really be, take a long time. And so it was, it was definitely both of us. We both have experience there and we had to get rid of our money. And that's what people don't wealth gap was not a service play for us. Some businesses, you know, you're like, this can help a lot of people. I really want to help people. That wasn't WealthGap. WealthGap was from me and Chris. We had to get rid of some of our cash. You know, we've just got millions of dollars stacking up an account and then IRS wants a piece. It's like, 
we got to figure this out. So it really started as a vehicle. How do we get rid of this money in a way we can get it back? We don't want to light it on fire. You know, we want to be able to get it back. So we, we started investing into real estate. So kind of a, a process there. It took about eight months just to really get it working up. And then there was a guy named Alric who's a client who's like, Hey, what are you guys doing in the real estate world? Can I get involved? And we're like, yeah, maybe you can get involved. And it was like flood. You know, everyone was like, I want to put money in. How do I do it? So we went through the process of getting accredited through the SEC. Um, and it, it seems like it took a long time, but it took about a year. It, it, we started about a year ago. Okay. And so, yeah. So what, what's, what's minimum buy-in? Are you accepting new money to the fund? We're not accepting any new money to the fund right now. It's closed. Okay. Yep. Um, so that's another, you know, we're only going to take money that it's just different, man, because we have money coming in from the other businesses that we put in. So if we have like a big, like, let's say a block of houses, we're like, we want to buy this block of houses, but we don't want to use all of our own money. We might open it up and close it down. Every time we've opened the funds, it's open for about two days and then it closes, it fills up. Um, very, very different than your typical turnkey or your typical like, you know, gap funding, things like that, because it's mixed with our money. So people know on an instinctive guttural level, like, you know, if I'm mixing my money, here's 200,000 and it's mixed in with, with 2 million of Taylor and Chris's money, they ain't losing this money. It's, it's not going to be invested into some risky play. And when you look at the, the investment trusts and Cardone and all of these people, you know, what they're really doing is they are, they are putting investor money into deals to pull them out of deals. And we're not really doing that. We have our own money in the funds. It's a lot different. Uh, but right now people can't buy houses from us. So I think the URL for that is wealthcapholdings.com slash waitlist. Okay. Um, we're sold out in May. We're sold out in June. And it's just, if you get on that waitlist, you talk with somebody on our team who manages it, you know, we're, we're talking a minimum 15% cash on cash return. All, these, all of the markets have appreciation in them. Really good, really crazy. Again, I can't emphasize enough, like structurally the whole business is different because it's for me and Chris. Right. And we're just, we're going in on that because like we don't really care. Like we can flip houses or we can not flip. We'll buy them all. It doesn't really matter to us. So when, when houses do come available, they're gone. I think last week we gave Devin a house and she had it under contract in about five minutes, which is a record for us. But people know like this is a house that Taylor wanted and for some reason he can't have it. So it's likely a good house. I think it's like a 27% cash on cash. So we'll, we'll just put any turnkey, you know, real estate company, and we'll just completely club them. Like there's no, no competition. And that's the point. We don't really want to be comp competition. We want to build it for us and just people sneak in if they can. I love that. So, kind of a rabbit hole, but yeah. No, but brilliant, right? I mean, because getting into, right, with the dollar amounts you're talking about, the strategic planning around, right, income allocation. And playing the, mm -hmm. I'll call it the, the, I don't even want to call it a game, right? Because this will get aired everywhere. But it's really a game of using ethical loopholes to to diversify your own income portfolio to not have to yeah. pay 30% on taxes. It's way better to pay 8 to 10%. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And all of our salespeople are in on it. You know, they put money in into houses. Um, our sales manager right now is about to buy two. So it's just cool. It's really cool because for us, that part is very fulfilling. Like, man, taking care of the people on our team who really have no idea, you know, well, they're making money, but they don't know what to do with it. So it's a cool little way to give back to them as well. Of course. So Taylor, question on, as the companies grow, can you see a day in the future 
that you'd have a liquidity event. Do you think you'd ever sell one of these enterprises off for some multiple of earnings? Because you have you got to have a crazy recurring revenue stream building now. You have a delivery mechanism. You have a onboarding mechanism. You have every metrics possible. Right, a man with your entrepreneurial prowess has to be thinking at some point this is worth eight to ten to twelve times earnings. Does that does that cross through your mind ever? And this isn't to scare people to work for you, right? I hope that nobody they don't listen to it. But this is entrepreneurial talk at this point. This is you built something yeah. that's massive that has actual cash value in the marketplace. I mean, yeah, absolutely, it crosses my mind. Um, we're set up that way, you know. We're structured in a way that's healthy, so we could take any one of our businesses or any of the revenue streams and we could piecemeal that, you know, in, you know, in a cell. Um, I think it comes down to really where things go over the next 10 years, the next decade, it's going to be really interesting. And I think exciting because one of the things that Chris wants to do is just pick up pieces of equity in people's businesses that not only can be profitable for us, but can be functionally profitable, which there's two different types. You know, Jay Abraham actually taught us this when we were mentoring under him. It's like you buy businesses for, for two different reasons. Some people buy businesses because they want to have an exit. They want to flip it. They want to invest into a business like we invest in real estate. And some people buy businesses because it's functional or it decreases the expenses for another business that you have. And so we're kind of going that direction. And Anytime we can pick up a business that might eliminate a cost for TNF or might, you know, for example, sales mentor, why did sales mentor start? Well, dude, we got sick of paying headhunters to find these salespeople and half of them are dumb and we can't train them. And then they backfill them and those are dumb. We're like, forget it. We're just going to create a company that trains people. And out of that has birthed, you know, a, a staffing company inside a sales mentor, but it staffs TF too. It staffs wealth cap. And so it's like sales mentor is not only profitable, it's functional for the other businesses. And so I think it depends on where we go in the next 10 years. And it's definitely crossed my mind. I think it'd be crazy to not at least think about it and consider it. But I don't really see, I think it would have to be so beneficial, like so profitable, because you know, right now it's been five to six hours a week in TF. Right. Uh, you know, like you could also just leverage yourself out of everything and just take a paycheck. So I think it just depends on what's it's it's a game. It's, it is a game, and figuring out how to play that game and how to keep yourself excited and how to keep yourself motivated. Now that's probably half the battle. Is when you get to the level that we're at, how do you get out of bed excited? Like, what is it that's pulling you forward? Like, what new things do you have to learn? And I have no idea what's going to happen with exiting or if it will ever happen. <laughs> so I, I love the answer, right? And um, that brings up the next question for me is. What does get you excited at this point, right? You've, you've grown multiple businesses. You've got revenue, income, profit, diversification. You've got great mentors, right? You've got, you've got a, a stable of all the right things. So other than your, your one-year-old, right? Obviously, we can all play that game. But let's, let's take out the esoteric thing you're supposed to say, like, oh, yeah, my one-year-old. No, no. Like, what actually gets you fired up to get out of bed like it did in 14 or 15? Yeah. Well, 14 to 15, what motivated me to get out of bed was not starving. So good motivation. Thankfully we've grown past that a little bit. Um, I truly love the game and that is esoteric and it is a little bit abstract, but if you can just hang with me for a minute, like what I enjoy is figuring out new things to do and, you know, creating new things and becoming more, you know, when I produce, I'm happy. 
is fulfilling to me. I was just actually, before this meeting, I was in one of our sales meetings in a conference room on the other side of this computer and just doing some coaching on standards. And, you know, people really benefited from it, but I benefited from it as well. You got to find the things that if you didn't get paid to do them, and, and this is like an age old, like everybody says this, but I, I've discovered that it's true. If you didn't get paid to do them, how motivated would you be to still do it? And if that motivation is relatively high, then you need to double down on it and mix it in there. And so for me and Chris, you know, like how can we piece together a hundred million dollar company? Cause we're not there. You know, like if, if we nail all of our goals this year, you know, we'll hit 30. We're not at a hundred. So how do we piecemeal that together? How do we double next year? How do we double next year, but keep our, our profits, uh, our, our ratings at the same level? You know, there's all of these mini you can create games within games within games. And so how do we take the profit margins of TF from 50 to 60%, which is absurd. Nobody thinks you can do it, but what if we can, you know, nobody thought that, you know, any team could win three championships back to back until it was done. And then everybody believed it. So what are those things for us that we can do that nobody's ever done before? And then obviously, dude, I'm, I'm still a human. Uh, we just bought, uh, a one a beautiful piece of land here in Franklin, Tennessee, outside of Nashville. We're building a house. You know, Chris has a boat and a lake house, so I'm trying to catch him right now. But I've been I've been so like I've been pretty pretty diligent because my wife wants a new house, and so there's all of these different games inside of life that are just so fun. Like if you're not waking up every day and excited about something, and sometimes it can be little. And I teach our salespeople this all the time. Like I'm, ex you know what I'm excited about right now? This what's is that? what's literally on my mind. Me and my wife are going to Mexican food tonight and everything's been closed, but this one Mexican place opened up and I can't wait to go to dinner. It's not just the big things in life. When you learn how to get yourself excited about the little things, you know, like just, just the small things mixed in through your week, I think you become unstoppable because your energy reserves really fill up in proportion to what you're excited about. It's really hard to push yourself and push yourself and push yourself what if you flip that around and you, you, you created these things that are pulling you into the future? And sometimes that's Mexican food on a Tuesday night. Sometimes that's, you know, daddy daughter date on the weekend. Sometimes that's big, like a $1.5 million build on, on a piece of land. Sometimes it's buying a boat. Sometimes it's just coming to the office of reading, taking the day off. I think it just depends on kind of per personality wise and, and human beings. We love the routine. We love what is safe and consistent, but we also love what is out of routine and what is novel, and what is new. And if you can mix those two things together, big, small, in between, you've won the game of life. You've nailed it, and money just becomes a byproduct, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a profound statement. I love that. So, Taylor, I guess, what's next, right? What's, what's on the, we'll say, the next six months for traffic and funnels for sales mentor? Like, side note, if you haven't went through a sales mentor's training in some capacity as you're listening to this, it's just salesmentor.com. I believe so. I yeah. came through a funnel, right? Maybe, I, maybe it's thesalesmentor.com. But while you're talking, I'm going to look it up. Well, no matter what it is, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. So as you're listening, you'll be able to press pause, go to the show notes of this episode. You'll find it, right? Some of the most incredible resources on sales that I've ever had access to is literally from the sales mentor or sales mentor. We're going to we're figure that out real time. I admittedly am a sucker for the, the funnel side of things that, that Taylor and Chris do. And they served a great ad at just the right time from a retarded campaign that I've been following around and poof, popped into my feed that I had 
an offer I couldn't refuse. I had to start going down the funnel of, of sales mentor. So it's, it's incredible to see right, a byproduct of your product. It, it all works. Can't get it. I think salesmentor.com, the salesmentor.com is for the challenge. That'll work. So there, and then if I get an updated link, I'll give it to you. Yeah, sounds great. So sorry, so <laughs> it's no problem, right? You're you're a, you're a multifaceted man with with other things going on. I get it. So what's coming up next, right? What's on the horizon for the next six months? Yeah, so we're scaling sales mentor right now, which is fun. Um, it will we'll probably double that income stream in the next six months. TF is in a place where you know it could not grow or it could grow. I think it will grow, but we're kind of, you know, we have a couple thousand clients a month in the high ticket side and, you know, 50, 60,000 customers a month, uh, a year on the low ticket side. So it's one of those things with TF where it's, TF is more of a mouthpiece for us. Um, we're knocking this wall down next to us and we're taking the space next door. So we're expanding a little bit, another four or 5,000 square feet. Um, and WealthCap, we're going to make WealthCap bigger. And that's kind of just the, the long-term play for us is making sure that we have the machine dialed in. If you can dial something in when it's small, the chances of it breaking when it's big are, are, are less likely. I'm not saying it won't break because everything that scales breaks at some point. But we'll, we'll triple or quadruple wealth cap before the end of the year. We'll double salesman Thor, and we may grow TF by 25%, which is still good. It's substantial, but it's not on the level of, you know, the other companies. Um, that's from a business standpoint, that's all we're focused on. And the most important part is we'll do that through a leadership team, through people that are excited about it. Because if, if you do something as the owner, uh, you not only have you robbed the team of the opportunity to learn how to do it themselves, but really, if you think about it, you've taken bandwidth away from something else that could be really huge, huge and really big. And so, I'm just as excited about my team hitting their income goals as I am about me hitting my income goals. And that's been a massive shift since 2014 when it's like, man, just got to go to get food and pay for the apartment and things like that. So it's like, I want Peyton to get his dream car after he gets houses. And I want Alex to earn the income that he said he wanted to make. And really, when you figure out what the team members that work for you are motivated by, you can get excited and hyped by helping them hit that as an owner. Absolutely. And I think one of the most, you know, just that thing that hit me, 2014, you're scraping by figuring out how to get food and pay for your apartment. 2020, we're talking about million dollar real estate ventures and growing a $16 million enterprise into a $30 million enterprise. And I'm going to, I'm curious, right? I have an assumption that you figured out a process inside of TNF. You got ruthlessly committed the results there and got incredibly clear on what to do and you block out everything else until that hit a certain revenue number a certain automation number and you backfilled yourself out of it just to the point that it was scary to go build something new because that was not up and running is that is that close to right 100 percent. and it starts i think it starts with actually before that of clarity on what you want because that focus doesn't come just from the others you know from the from the universe people have to really double down on what is the outcome. And, and for TF, it was 100K a month. That was the outcome. We got clear on that, focused on that, and hit it. And then it was 500 a month. We got clear on it, focused, and we just kept going. And we didn't really backfill ourselves until we hit half a million a month. I wish we would have done it sooner, but 
now with our new ventures, we always are really, really, really on purpose up front of like, what's the outcome of this business? Like, what do we actually want from this business? And sometimes it's not money. Sometimes it's something different. So having clarity on that is, yeah, that's, that's a hundred percent of, of the game because if you don't have that, you'll just kind of spin around. And this is what I see from people all the time just spin around. You know, like they'll go forward, they'll go backwards, spin around. It's like all of a sudden 18 years goes by and it's like, you know, you haven't really grown because you never got clear what you wanted. It's really dangerous. Super dangerous. So Taylor, how, how from, from 16 forward, how long does it get hit the 100,000 a month run rate consistently, right? For more than, more than two months. March. March of the first year. March yeah. of 16. Yeah. Nice. And then from that to the 500,000? Um, I think August of the same year. I'm asking this question somewhat leading Taylor for you as you're listening. That's what linear focus does inside of a business. Like Taylor, you wouldn't know this, but I have a, a consultancy agency, a consulting agency and right. Help coaches to right, two different business ventures, not dissimilar to yours. And it, it's everywhere. It's like this, the real pandemic is lack of focus. Like it's not, it's not Corona to me. It's entrepreneurs yeah. that are chasing shiny objects all the time instead of just driving something with insane focus. Like to go from idea, well, you'd vetted it out, but in three months to a half or a hundred thousand dollar run rate and in eight months to a half million dollar run rate and being profitable too. That's the other thing. I'll, I'll just like Russell Brunson would be my quote unquote arch nemesis. I mean, he's not, he's a great guy, but right. The, the two comma club, like anybody can go run traffic and lose money and get a two comma club award. Like, Taylor's grown businesses that are insanely profitable and scalable, right? It's not about a two comma club award hanging on the wall. Cause that's just, that's just fodder. Like that's, I don't even have any. Yeah. Listen, like, listen to that. The man that has an agency that's doing incredible, incredible numbers does not have a two comma club award. Like quit chasing yeah. shiny stuff that doesn't matter. Nobody outside the little click funnels community cares that you have a freaking two comma club award hanging on your wall. Like nobody even knows what that is. It's pointless. It's meaningless. But it's great. It's great marketing for them, though. That's it's it incredible, is. right? It's us versus them. They've got the tribe built. They've got all the stuff going on. So I love it from the marketing aspect, but from the physical application of what it means to have it. Businesses grow on cash. That's it. They're not growing on a shiny award on the wall. They're not growing on you know the press release. They're growing on the cash in the bank account. Yeah, yeah. Love the thing it. I love about Russell is he has figured out a way to do just that, where he's grown his whole business without any venture capital. And, uh, you know, I don't know what's, I have, I have some, I've never talked to Russell, but I have some really close friends who are really close with him. And I don't know what's going to, I don't know what they're going to do, but I, I feel like he's probably going to exit. He's probably going to hit his targets. And then I think he's probably going to come right back to the info business, which is what he loves. He loves to write. He loves to teach. You can tell that he lights up from it. And, uh, you know, he's, he's done a lot of good for a lot of people for sure. Absolutely. It, what, what's crazy is I knew Russell. So Taylor, I owned a web hosting company that was affiliate based, where right? We grew it and sold it to GoDaddy a couple of years ago. And Russell was one of our affiliates. There's like this window of time that just is like not wow. where he was a business opportunity guy. Like he taught yeah. me to make money online in this little, it's a gray space, right? I'm not necessarily proud of it, but I'm proud of the growth of the business, not how we, not the market we serve necessarily, but like he was thick as thieves. Like he was an incredible affiliate. He was, and it's like no potato gun. And then click funnels. I'm like, there's so yeah. much in this little story about learning what not to do because it, it doesn't honor the ethics. And there's all types of ways that aren't impactful to make money. Like that was just a time in life. And I'm not implying that that was ever something that you did, but right. The business opportunity space, if you could write yeah. 
you could, you could make money. It's kind of internet marketing as a whole, if you think about it. I think that's one of the things I love about the real estate side is we're integrating into such a different crowd of people. You know, we don't, we don't really have objections on the real estate side. It's, it's so funny how the conversations are so different because people aren't trying to get a million dollars overnight. They're not trying to build seven figures overnight. They're just like, yeah, I make, you know, I'm, I'm a surgeon and I want to invest the money. It's like, well, here you go. And it's just like, you'd be amazed at how much money people will transfer around almost like without that even trust built up. Like people are buying houses that are, you know, people will buy four or five houses at a time and they don't really know us. You know, it's just a different world. There's not, there's not a lot of the same uh, rules in that game. And that's what I love about being in multiple industries is you get to taste all of them. And then sometimes you decide, you know, I don't really care about, you know, this industry anymore because I've tasted what could be, you know? Certainly. And that's just another, this is just such a great episode. Like I love chatting with you, Taylor. I appreciate you being on. I want to honor your time and respect the fact you're here with me and say, right, if you're going to leave something for someone that's listening to remember you by that, that piece of that pearl of wisdom, that golden nugget, they're like, Taylor's the man because he said this, what would you share with them right now? Man. I mean, we talked at the beginning about disconnecting from the results, but um, you know, I think more people need to just honor, honor their code. I think confidence comes from you being in alignment with what's important to you. People get all messed up because they, they decide they're going to chase what somebody else is chasing. It wasn't your race. You were never motivated by it. It's a recipe for unhappiness. Um, and so even for our team and even for our clients, like, man, what is it that you want? And then honor that because the barometer on whether something is a good vision is not what somebody else says or what somebody else does. It doesn't motivate you. And for me, you know, I don't necessarily want to be a billionaire. Maybe I will one day, uh, but I sure am not going to spend the next 20 years trying to attain, attain something that came from somewhere else. You know, comparison is the worst disease in the entrepreneurial world. And so honor you, honor your code and play the game and enjoy the game, no matter what level you're at. You know, we talk about this all the time on Daily Mind Medicine, which is uh, one of our newest podcasts, uh, just about how to free yourself from the disease of comparison, even competition, fear, all of these things on your code, man. And that's the, that's the recipe for the good life. Uh, I appreciate it, Taylor. I appreciate the message. And I appreciate getting to spend time and getting to know you a little bit better. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. It's great, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely.